Let's keep in prayer, okay? Let's watch out for each other. All right? Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I got the news when I was in this conference. Someone sent me a news clipping in the New York Post, and I was just, like, shocked by it and saddened deeply. And, man, you know, uh, when Charles was sticking the microphone in your face and saying, why are you here? Um, thank you for no one saying just for the bagels. <laughs> Even though that... <laughs> It didn't get to you. Or <laughs> um, but, but a lot of you said hope. And one of the things I want you to know is, you know, God has used Charles in my life so much because he's given me hope because uh, the work that God's called me to is, is difficult and, and um, there's lots of struggle in it. But uh, what I want you to know is that this, we want it, what we strive to be is a community that will stay with each other even in the brokenness and even in the failures. And Charles was reminding me, when we used to have program here at the mission, and I was the CEO here, um, guys would relapse. And uh, if I saw them on the sidewalk, I'd run, after, I'd run to them and embrace them. I didn't care. I got my own relapses of sorts, right? We're all sinners. We're all broken. And so, I, you know, Charles, over 30 years of addiction and, and being in, the sh in the, uh, prison a few times and, and how many rehabs he did, you ask his family, they said he's gone. He will never return. It's, it, he's too far gone. There's no hope. Even his mom's saying, don't call home anymore at the end of this. Um, but not only is there hope, because you see, he went from telling jokes to, he really, he's going to take over this church someday. I can feel it. Um, but you know what he does, son? Yeah. But his, um, his mom had a stroke. His dad has health issues. And um, Charles goes home the days he has off to care for his family. Imagine them ever imagining that in their elderly years when they needed a son who would care for them, that Charles would be the one. Only God can have that kind of vision. Isn't that amazing? So I think there's a bunch of Charles and Bettys <laughs> in here right now. Hannah's, okay, we'll use Hannah. That uh, he want, he's going to redeem and he's going to do things in your life that you never expected. That's why I'm here because I believe that with all my heart. Um, wherever you're at. And I, I don't want to minimize the, the depth of the struggles you're in right now uh, to get out of it. I've been doing this long enough now, and I've heard enough stories. I know it's, it's difficult. It's painful. I wish I could snap my fingers and make it go away, but I don't have that power. But the journey with God, the journey with God. God, yes, God has it. So, um, so, in the, here, so here's what we're going to do today. Um, someone said that he was here for the word. I think that was you. So let's do the word now. Let's do the word of God. And in the song that we sang, the, um, uh, we said he's a way maker, God is, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. That is who you are. God, that's who you are. Today I want to talk about who we are. Who am I? Who am I in my most innermost being? Who am I? And who gets to define that? Do you define it? Yeah, but who is defining it for you right now? Yeah, but who is really defining it right now? Who defined it when you were 2 and 4 and 6 and 12 and 20 and 25? And how, how did you come to understand who you are? Who, who are you? So it's interesting. You know, we, we look in a mirror. Oh, that's kind of scary. Uh, really? That's what I look like? <laughs> You know, sometimes I come home at the end of the day and my wife, who's, who's away this weekend, obviously, so I can say all kinds of things and get away with it. It's going to be, shh, don't tell her what I say today, okay? 
But um, I'll come home after a long day, and Chris will look at me and say, when's the last time you looked in the mirror? And I'll say, oh, I don't remember. She goes, did you go to the bathroom? Yes. Did you wash your hands? Yes. Was there a mirror? Yes. Did you look? Probably not. I'm not, like, attentive. So, yeah, that looks, o- that looks okay. All right? So this is who I am in part, right? I recognize myself. You see yourself there? See? That's who you are in part. That's your physical body. Now, David, uh, did you look like this when you were 10? Nope. No? I didn't think so. All right? You're changing, right? I didn't always look like this. I don't always have gray hair. Uh, in fact, I was actually, when I played basketball, um, when I was very young, they listed my height at 5'10". I think that was about right. When I went into the doctor's office the other day and she measured me, she said 5'8". I punched her because, you know, I'm not 5'8". Come on, I'm not 5'8". My dad was 5'8". And he was short. But as you get older, your spine starts collapsing a little bit and you start shrinking and your hair gets gray or sometimes you lose hair. David, you probably had more hair at one time. You probably had more hair at one time, right? So we changed. I want to show you uh, what I looked like 34 years ago uh, at my wedding. Now, you can't see that really well, but look at that nice, thick head of hair. And that was uh, in Port Huron, Michigan, where we got married on July 13th, 1985. I was her knight in shining armor. I was, I was the prince that woke up, the sleeping beauty. I was the, what else can I say that you won't tell her I said all this, bragging on myself. And, of course, you can see, you know Chris. I wish I could have gotten a closer picture to see our faces. But, you know, we change, right? The outer man changes. In fact, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And as you get older, you feel that wasting away reality, right? You're not, you don't have the same energy, the muscle strength. Um, The bones start hurting. You start having more physical problems. I, uh, until about three years ago, I never, ever took any pills for anything. And then I had a heart problem. Yeah. But listen, it all changed. I ran a marathon with Charles in 19, or 20, 2017. And, uh, and then three months later, four months later, I was on the table at NYU Hospital having two stents put in, a, in my heart, in a, in a vein. And then six weeks later, I had injury to my back with uh, six herniated, di- or three herniated discs. And other conditions. And so now in the morning, I'm taking one, two, three, four pills, five pills. And at night, I take two pills every day. So when I see that it says that the outer man is wasting away, you don't have to convince me of that. But look at the second statement. Our inner self. There's an inner self you have. And he says it's actually doing the opposite. It's growing stronger. That's really the hope that we have. That as we grow older, and of course, initially when we come into the world, we're babies, and we don't stay that way, right? So we grow up to a certain point, and then the decline starts. But the reality is that the, the hope that we have in God is that who we are today is not as strong or as well-developed as who we're going to be tomorrow, in a week from now, in a month from now. That's really the, the vision that God has for us. So who are you? Who is this inner self that he's talking about? What is your identity? Now, I studied psychology years ago, and I taught child psychology classes. Uh, You wouldn't know it from looking at my kids today, but um, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Uh, Self-reflected appraisals is how people initially form the answer to the question, who am I? I want you to think about this with me. You're going to put on your thinking camp for this. When you're young, it says we think of ourselves the way we think other people think of us. It's reflected back to us. It's like this. Who am I? 
and we get feedback. It's outside of ourselves. We're, we're really referencing other sources to define who we are when we're young. That's how our identity forms. So if you're raised in a home where, where I hope this wasn't true, but someone said to you regularly, you're stupid. They're not giving you an IQ test to see if you're stupid or not. They're just telling you that. And you, because you don't have enough information and data to draw on, begin to think you're stupid. And so you will tell yourself that until you believe that you're stupid. And that will be part of your identity. You could be the smartest guy, man or woman walking the earth. But you may have this idea about yourself that, that you're stupid. And, and if that's how you think about yourself, you won't try very hard at stuff. And so then you start getting reinforcement that you are stupid because you're failing classes. I was kind of in that boat because my older brother, who was the source of a lot of my problems in life when I was young, uh, was so smart. He got all A's through school. He was valedictorian in high school. I'm only two years behind him. I'm going behind after him, believing I'm stupid. And I would have teachers who had my brother in math classes say to me after I took my first test, are you sure you're his brother? <laughs> so my grades are C's. And I thought I was stupid. I flunked classes. And, and I really believe that about myself. So you can, you can apply that to every area. I'm stupid. I'm slow. I'm not a good athlete. I, I'm, I'm not good looking. My nose is too big. My ears are too big. Whatever. You know, one of the things my, my brother did, my older brother, and I, I love him today, but he, uh, he liked to tease me. Anybody have a sibling that teased you? Or a cousin or somebody? People? Okay. So my name is Craig, which rhymes with, give me something it rhymes with. There you go. Craig Egg. So he nicknamed me Craig the Egg, or he just called me Egg. And then he, to he told me this over and over and over again. He said, your, I call you that not because your name is Craig, but because your head is shaped like an egg. I mean, he, he said that all the time. So I would go with the mirror and look in the mirror and look at my head. And sure enough, I thought my head was shaped like an egg. So I, wore, so I had to wear a hat all the time to cover it. Now, isn't that stupid? And, and actually, actually, maybe you think my head is shaped like an egg, do you? No, okay. Over here, Over here you want another look? Yeah. And he would make cracks about this all the time. He would, you know, talk about, yeah, if we're playing football and I hit it, he goes, well, did we crack the egg? Well, f fortunately, you're hard-boiled egg, so you're just over and over and over again. And then, of course, that spread to all the friends in the neighborhood. And my last name was Mays, so it became egg mayonnaise, egg salad sandwich, mayonnaise, all this stuff over and over again. These things are stupid now. I can look at them now, but, but all those words were shaping a sense of who I was. I'm not smart. Um, I, had, I, had three, I had three brothers in total, and, and at least two of them were way better athletes than me. So with all this competition within the family, and my dad really related to us only in sports. Amen. Never had a conversation about anything meaningful, but he loved to throw the ball, catch the ball, kick the ball, hit the ball, and put me in Little League. And, and so here's another example of a self-reflected appraisal where I think about myself the way I think someone thinks about me. So I'm up at the plate, little league, strike one. My dad's right over there on the fence. Strike two, strike three. I hang my head back. I look up my dad, and my dad just does this. Right? What is that, what is that, what is that telling me about me? I'm no good at sports, and my value as a person is related to how well I do. Yeah, yeah, but that's what it was. It was, it was actually Dwight Gooden pitching to me all that time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, so I, I want you just to take a minute and think about what were some of the, not to share them out loud, but just to think about some of the, these early experiences in life that begin to define who you were, that you maybe have carried into your adult life. 
Because a lot of these things we carry, they, in fact, we, it's hard to shed them ever. I became very competitive in a fighter, in an achiever, partly to try to find value. Because I didn't think I had it unless I was up here, whatever it was. All right? So a lot of us are in that. And then when we fail, which we all fail, we have this sense that we're worthless. Our self-talk, I, I shared when we were talking about the tongue in our series a little while ago, I talked about how many words we say to ourselves. You know, if you talk really fast, like Charles, you can do 1,400 words, of, um, maybe 1,400 words a minute, but you do thousands of words a minute in your mind. It's cycling all the time, and a lot of this is about yourself. You're, you're saying things about yourself. And a lot of them are just lies. They're not true. One of the things that the gospel does, the good news when God redeems us and shows us our value and worth to him, how much we're loved, is he wants to redefine that. He wants you to look at yourself differently. He wants all those other voices, all that negativity to go away, to see how God sees us. And we're going to take a little peek into a little bit of that today so that we can see how God sees us. You know, get, get the real reflection from God. The only self-reflected appraisal that we need like I, David, let's say that you, you, you come up after and say, Craig, I think you should quit preaching because you're really bad. If, when, I was, when I was fresh out of seminary, that would have hurt me deeply. I would have believed it some. But if God is saying to me, go for it, Craig. I've called you to do this. I've given you this gift. You do it. Then those things don't matter because I know who's defining me. So I, I kind of want to say, although... Don't be hard on me because I'm still sensitive, but I, none of you can define me. Right. Through your criticism, through whatever, you can't define me because I know who I am. And I also know I'm not perfect. But God knows I'm not perfect too, and he loves me unconditionally in spite of that. And that's true for every one of you. He's, is there anyone that sees everything in your life, that there's no hidden, dark corner, unspoken thing? There's Probably for none of us, there's no one that knows all of that. But the creator of the universe knows all of that, and he says, you're my beloved. Yes. I love you. Come, man, let me embrace you. That's the God that we have. So let's, hit, let's let him speak for myself. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to let God tell you. Just in a few verses who you are. For you are God's handiwork. Now, I know you look in the mirror, and you go, well, I think God could do a better job. <laughs> but we're not talking about your physical body. You're his handiwork as a person. You're beautiful. You're a work of art. That's a potential that we have in Christ. We're created in Christ Jesus and then we're created to do good works. That's the beauty of it. That inner person that can, that can spread love and that can do good and that can build people up and that can change the world. That's who we are, every one of you. In Christ, that's who you are. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit at the end about what it means to be in Christ. But this is the potential we all have. And the, for God sees you this way. And by the way, he sees us you way, this way before you even come to him. Like if, if you're far from him, he still sees you this way. He, the gospel tells, the word of God tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ came for us, died for us. While we were still far from him, didn't even know he existed, didn't even care. He was chasing us after us. Why? Because he sees what we are, we really are, at the core of our being, what he created us to be. Wherefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. You may not feel new, but that's there. That's who you are. Sometimes who we are has to be called out. Here's an example uh, going back to my grades in school. I was really awful. I actually flunked Algebra two. I flunked Biology. My understanding of who I was was that I wasn't smart, and I couldn't do especially math or science. I went on to 
go to college and get a college degree. I got a master's in theology. I got a master's in counseling. I got a PhD in counseling. Not, and that's, yeah. Well, I'm going to say, God helped me see who I was. But in my doctoral program, my PhD program, I had to take 15 credit hours of statistics. And one of them was called multivariate analysis and um, multiple regression. That's the name of the course. In, in the first page, it says, to do well in this, you have to have a good grasp of matrix algebra. I never heard of matrix algebra. I'm thinking, I'm going to flunk this course. Well, in the back of the book was a review of matrix algebra. So I studied my brains out, took the class. I got an A in it. Now, the old me said, I can't do math. It, but it was there all the time. I just didn't know it was there. So when you don't feel like a new creation, it's because you're not experiencing it yet, but it's there. God sees that in you. And what he wants to do is call us out of what's limiting us right now so that we can become the full expression of that new creation. Every single one of you in this room, that's you. Thank you. All right, what else does God say? But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are our bodies, our, our physical um, weaknesses and, and failings, you know, the bodies. But inside this jar of clay is a treasure. You are a treasure. That inner being, you are a treasure. Every one of you in this room, every one of us is a treasure in God's eyes. He sees us as a treasure. I love this one. We need to embrace this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. People are putting other labels on you. One they're putting on some of you in here is homeless. No, you're not. You're a child of God who doesn't have a place right now to stay, but you're not homeless, right? I think we need to get rid of that title because whether or not you have a home doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define your value. It doesn't define your worth. And it certainly doesn't find, define whether God loves you or not. We are the children of God. We, are, we should be called children of God. You are a child of God. Every one of you, you're a child of God, of great value. I'm a child of Ray and Nancy. That's my parents, physical parents here on earth. But greater than that is the reality that I'm a child of God. You are a child of God. I feel that, you know, one of the, so these are, this is just a small sampling. When I was looking at this, I said, I can't do a, I can't do an hour and a half message, so I'm going to have to cut about 90% of it out. There's so many scriptures that define who you are, God speaking, not Craig, because my opinion doesn't matter. But you're, mu you're much more than anything you've ever been told, and all that negative stuff isn't who you are. And a lot of you don't even know who you are. You don't know the, the potential that never came up to the surface because people defined you in a certain way when you were younger, and you believe that, because that's our nature. We don't, we don't really have a choice. These things shape us, but it can be undone. It can be undone. This prayer in, um, in Ephesians, uh, before, I, before I put it up on the screen, um, years ago I discovered this prayer, and I realized that I needed this. I needed it. And I began to pray, putting my name in it, and I, I actually, I'm not going to show you the whole section, just a small part of it. And then I began to pray at putting my kids' name in it, my wife and my friends and people I was in, in life with because this is some pr things we pray for. I don't know if God's going to answer them or not. It's kind of a mystery which ones he answers and doesn't. But this is a prayer in Scripture that Paul prayed for a church in the Ephesus. And this is what we need. If we're going to realize who we are in God, we need this. So here's what he prays. He, he says, I, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength or power 
to comprehend with all the other saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's what, it, 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 to really shorten that, here's what I would say. Every one of us, more than anything else, this would change us if we could experience how deeply we're loved by God. Not a verse you memorize, not a preacher telling you God loves you, because we do that all the time. We tell you that. But, you know, if someone says they love you, but you don't feel loved, those words are meaningless. Like, like if you're in a bad relationship, the person says, yeah, I know I'm mistreating you, but I really love you. No, you don't love me. Because I'd know if you love me. So love is something that we, the love of God that we can experience deeply in our heart. It says, it, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? I mean, that's like saying it's so massive but he says, I'm praying that you will have strength or power to, to comprehend it. And when it says to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that's kind of a weird expression. Like knowing beyond knowing. And what it really means, I believe, is to know deeply. Like my prayer, what I began to pray for myself is, God, let me experience your love. Like when I'm sitting here, I'm reading the Bible, or I'm, I'm riding my bike, I don't care what I'm doing, my thoughts go to you. Let it not just be a thought about an idea, a doctrine, a truth, something written down on paper. Let me know you're real. Let me experience your love. And Paul prayed that. Early in this, uh, this little letter, he, he prayed also that God would in, open the eyes of their heart. Isn't that a weird expression? Open the eyes of my heart. In other words, I want to I see something that's not just with my physical eyes, but deeply in my soul. And what I would long for me and for all of us here is that whatever's going on, wherever you find yourself, that you would encounter this love of God that you feel wash over you. You know it. You know it deeply. You know beyond knowing. Because this will help you then comprehend everything I've just said. That's where you say, oh, I'm your child. You know the song we sing in here, you're a good, good father? Do you experience him as a good, good father? Or is that those words that we sing? Do you experience in the depths of your soul that you are a child of God? Do you, do you experience in the depths of your soul that he's a new creation, he's making all things new inside of you? Do you experience in the depth of your soul that you're a treasure to God? Do you experience in the depth of your soul that you are his work of art, his handiwork? Because that is who you are. We, we sang about who God is. This is who you are. This is who he says you are. The only mirror you need is God. When you look at God and, and, and you, what gets reflected back to you when you look into the eyes of God are all those things. That's who I am. Are you a drug addict? Oh, no. You might be addicted right now, but you're not a drug addict. Amen. No, Amen. no, no. You're a child of God. You're a beloved of God. You're a treasure. You're a handiwork. Amen. You're not a drug addict. You're not homeless. Whatever, whatever you're going to fill it in, that's not who you are. That may be what you're doing, and you can be set free from that. That is not who you are. Who you are is what God says you are. His is the only opinion that matters. Amen. Amen. So I want to, I want to, uh, uh, just, just going to give you the two-minute warning here. We're going to finish with a song today, but um, I want to suggest a couple things maybe to help us embrace this more, right? Here's the, here's the first one. In, in the midst of everything else you're doing, you've got you to gotta ask God to help him to know his love. And you can do that if you're reading the Bible or if you're just thinking or whatever you're doing, but just to say, I need to encounter you. I need you. So spend time. Carve out time in your day with all the things you have to do that just set some time 
to be alone with God because he's with you. You may not feel it, but he's with you. So we talk about that a lot, but this is abiding in him, bringing him into your everyday consciousness. Second thing is surround yourself with people who reinforce this message. You got people that are telling you all kinds of negativity about yourself. You need to separate from that because they're not speaking truth to you. Those are lies. So build a community around you. We want to be that community here, by the way. We want to get to know each other's names. We want to know each other's lives. We want to love each other unconditionally because that'll reinforce. If, if, if God loves you but nobody else loves you, it's hard to feel like God loves you. In fact, in, in the letter of 1 John in the Bible, John says that if we say we love God and we don't love our brother, we, we're, we're lying. The truth is not in us. So when you feel people of God loving you, God becomes more real to you. So be in community. Seek out people that reinforce the positive message of who you are. And the third thing is try to silence the other voices. You can talk to yourself, by the way. Just don't do it out loud. I think you're crazy. But when that voice comes in saying, you're good for nothing, you're never going to amount to anything, you say, that is not who I am. That is not who I am. That's, the, that's a great sentence. What's your name? Leonardo. Say it again. Leonardo da Vinci. No, sorry. Leonardo right here. So, so that's a great sentence, easy to remember. When the, when the negativity comes in, just say to yourself, that is not who I am. God says who I am, and I'm his handiwork. All right? So God, we, we just love you. We thank you for loving us unconditionally. Um, there's no failure that will ever separate us from your love. There's no shortcoming. There's no thing that we do that will ever define us other than your child. And we want to lean into that. We want to we soak that in today. In these last moments, we want to soak in your love today. So please come to us. Let us know that you're with us. Love us in your name. Amen. All right.